Good morning, everyone. Good Yamtiv. Today is Yud Kislev, liberation of the Mittal Rebbe. We continue. We left off in the fourth chapter of Nedarim, all the way in the bottom, 39b, the last line. Anyone who does break a choylem, this is the most famous daf. This is the part of the Gemara they have to learn. So the Gemara continues. Continues. The Gemara continues where we left off yesterday. The bottom, last page. Gemara tells a story. Rabbi was sick. Nafik, Achriz, Ravkan, and Ravkan went out and proclaimed to the public. We continue on 48. Ravchelbe, Koboy, Ravchelbe is taken ill. Meaning in a bad way. He's, he's really sick. Or maybe he's critically ill. Like he's not just regularly sick. It's like he's it's serious. He's in the intensive care. But no one came to visit him. The guy is dying. He's in intensive care. He may lose his life, and no one, no one bothered to visit him. Abalur Afkana said to the people, "After he announced it, no, no one bothered to visit." So Abalur Afkana said to the people, "Look, wasn't there a story with Talmud Echem Tamid Rakiva? One student of Rabbi Akiva, Shachala, he became sick. They nichtes acham levakle." And the sages did not go visit him. They were busy learning. They were busy with all good things, wonderful things. But they, no one bothered to visit him. The teacher, the master himself, took his time, closed his book, and went to visit him. And because they swept the floor and they settled the dust before him, he became better. Rabbi Kiva saw the room was dirty and dusty. You know what happens in today's hospitals? If you don't take, if you, no one visits the patients, the patient's completely neglected. The doctors and nurses have better things to do with their life. You're, you're a number to them. You're a cipher. You're filling up a bed to them. The quicker they can empty the bed, the better. They, they don't care about you. If they see somebody's visiting and someone cares about them, and, oh, they'll, they'll make sure to, there's a responsibility. So they'll make sure to, to, to take better care of the person. It's a fact. So he saw the room was dusty, no one was taking care of him, and he cleaned the room. He came and he cleaned the room. And the student, Rabbi Kiva, said, Rabbi, you saved my life. You brought me back to life. Rabbi Kiva went out and expounded to his students, to the public. If you don't visit the sick, it's, it's like you murder him. Because he could have saved his life. Sometimes, just by visiting him, taking care of his needs, seeing what he needs, you can literally, just paying attention, being there, it's all it takes. You can save a person's life. So he's telling them, here I announced you, that Chalbi is sick, and very sick, critically ill, and no one bothered to go visit him. You're all sitting, you're busy with wonderful things, but no one bothered to visit him. You can save a person's life. Don't wait for his funeral to come. If you had a funeral, no matter how busy you are, you would come. A good point. He's saying it's pikuach nefesh. If he had a funeral, you would close your book and you would show up, right? So why don't you go visit him when he's sick? So there isn't, there won't be a funeral. He's also psychologically, you help a person. A person feels that someone cares about him. You know, you know how much you lift up his spirit. That alone could help him fight the illness. So Rabdimi, Rabdimi came. He said, he came. Where did he come from? From Israel, and he went to Babylonia. He said, causes the sick person to live. You're responsible. You're responsible. Since your visit could have saved his life, so by not visiting him, you're responsible for his 
deterioration and ultimately for his death. But my grammar, how does the visitor cause a sick person to live or die? My hand, I'm not a doctor. Okay, well, in the case of Rabbi Kiva, it was a specific case. He was, he was in the dirty room and all the dirt and the dust and neglect could, could have killed him. But here, we're not talking about a, that case. So every time you don't visit a sick, I mean, if I'm visiting him, I cause him to live. And I'm visiting him, I cause him to die. How? Elaim, if you're going to want to say, call him Mavakar Sachela, 48. Call him Mavakar Sachela. Mavakar Sachela, because when you visit a sick person, what do you do when you visit him? What's the most important thing you do? You daven to Hashem, to have Rachmanism. If you don't visit the sick person, probably. So, probably, why aren't you visiting him? Because you you know, drop dead. You know, the sooner the better. You can't say that. I mean, just because I don't bother to visit him, that means I want him to die. You know, we have powers. It says a person is being judged every moment we're being judged. That's why you shouldn't speak Lashon Hara. But especially when a person is vulnerable. He's in a deathbed, he's dying, he's in danger of dying, he's in the hospital. You're in a dangerous place, he's in a dangerous situation. So every word that you do can either add to his scale to the positive or the opposite. So you become his accuser in heaven. You start saying this bum, this lousy, good for nothing, this no good, this is low life, and you don't have, you run out of adjectives to describe him. And then, you know, in heaven, that carries weight. Okay, he deserves to die. Versus if you become his advocate. What a tzaddik, what a good person, what a kind person. Please, Hashem, have Rahmanis. You know, that, that you're tilting his scale for the positive. So we have tremendous power. But the Gemara says it doesn't make sense just because I, I don't love him enough to wait to go and visit him. It takes effort. You have to close, you do whatever you're doing, stop whatever you're doing. That means I'm hoping he dies. No, maybe I, I wish him well. I just, I just don't have the energy and the strength. I don't love him that much. So I'm going to inconvenience myself to go visit him. So why did that cause his death? So the Gemara answers, Ella, rather, Dimi means a person who does not visit a sick person will not daven for him. He's not, I'm not davening he should live, I'm not davening he should die. And therefore, therefore, because you didn't pray for him, it could be that prayer, that prayer would have, would have caused him to live. Maybe he's in a dangerous situation and therefore he's, he's, it's tilting, it's tilting left. <laughs> it's tilting that he's going to die. But maybe if you would have had you gone and visit, and when you go visit, what do you do? You daven, you tell Hashem should help, you should get better, right? Actually, right? That's the most the primary thing that you do when you go visit. You don't say Hashem should help you, you should get better. You're praying that so maybe that prayer and that good wish and that act of Avis Yisrael, when Hashem sees you, one Jew cares about another Jew. And you're taking, you're inconveniencing yourself. And you're taking up your time because you're taking a 60th of his illness. You're inconveniencing yourself, your time and effort just to be there for another Jew. And you pray that he should be better. That could tilt the scale. And, and therefore, by not doing that, you're causing him to die. Well, brings, there are times that it is appropriate to pray that a person should die. <laughs> when you see a person who's suffering, oh. just suffering, suffering so terribly. Hashem had Rahmanus. He's dying anyway. He's not getting better. He's just suffering. Instead of prolonging the suffering for months and years, he davened Hashem. Like, like Rebbe, they, they davened, there's no davened that he should die because he was in such pain. What was the point? You know, just suffering. 
So there is a time that it is appropriate to pray for a person to die. But he's saying here, he's not praying for him to die, and he's not praying for him to live. The Gemara continues, On the first day that the Rav would take ill, and he would tell the people, his household members, Don't tell anyone. I don't want any visitors. Because it's, it's, he would keep it a secret, because his luck would get worse. Anyone who grew up with the Russian parents knows everything is a state secret. <laughs> they don't want anyone to know. Don't tell anyone that they're sick. Because the, the, first, the first day of sickness, my mazel, it could hurt my mazel. <coughs> he was hoping that it could be reversed. One day, maybe I could quickly reverse my, 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 my ill fortunes and I could, I could restore to health. So, so it, it's like a very precarious, he's in a precarious state, so he doesn't want anyone to say a word. The reason is because everyone has enemies, right? A rabbi who has no enemies is not doing his job. So, so if you have enemies, the enemies are going to hear, they're going to start dancing. <laughs> they feel like they're dancing on his grave. Mazel tov, finally. Finally, God heard our prayers. <laughs> they pray that he should die and die swiftly and a cruel death. So therefore, you want to keep it a secret. You don't want your enemies to, 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 to pile it on. Trust says, because it says, Hashem made a covenant with lips. You know, loose lips uh, sink uh, ships. So a person could say lip, say something, and it can, say, it can turn out to be a prophecy. A person says he's sick, and then he says he's dying. And you know, you said the word is out. It's in the ear. It has an impression in heaven. So you said dying, and it could, end up, it could end up becoming true. So you want to be careful. You want to be careful what you say. You know, there's a famous saying in the Gemara, we learned in Baruchas, don't open, don't give any opening to Satan. Don't open your mouth and give language and words to the Satan. So, so he wanted to keep it a secret. But after the first day, if he's still sick, he would say, announce it, take an ad in the paper. But the Rav is sick and he needs help and he needs everyone's prayers. Call the son Whoever hates me will take joy over me. Even it says, on the contrary, that will that will cause him to that will cause his cure, because it says when your enemy falls, you should not you should not dance. It says in Proverbs, it's also brought down in Ethics of Our Fathers. It brings this entire verse. Why? Hashem will see that you're rejoicing on the misfortune of another Jew. On the contrary, it'll, have a, it'll backfire. Hashem will say, oh, you're rejoicing another Jew's suffering? No more suffering for that Jew. So he wants his, joy, his enemies to rejoice. Yeah. And those who love me, will daven for me. So either way I win. Either way I win. My, love, my people who like me will daven for me. They'll shed a tear for me. And that will work for my benefit. Hashem will listen to their prayer. And those who hate me will dance and start dancing and be joyful. And that itself will also help me. It will backfire on them. But that's only starting with the second day, not the first day. It can be easily reversed. The first day can easily turn around. Oh, it's just uh, you know, quickly reverse. So therefore he kept it quiet. But once it's already, it's the second day, this is continuing, this is not uh, stopping so quickly. So now he needs all the help in the world. The more publicity, the better. Whoever visits the sick is speared from Gehenna. 
Praiseworthy is he who contemplates the needy, because on the day of evil Hashem will deliver him. Who's needy refers to a person who's sick. Because it says, It says in Isaiah, from the end, he will end my life with sickness. Chizkiah was dying. And Hashem saved his life and gave him a lease on life, a new lease on life. He gave him another 15 years to his life. So he said, Hashem saved me, Midala. He saved me from, from neediness, and he's referring to his illness. Hmm. That was the context of, of Hizkiah's, Hizkiah's for praising Hashem. That he was Midala Yivatseini. From sickness he saved me. Inami, or if you want me to denker, from a different passage. It says, it says in Shmuel, Madua Atta Kocha Dal Ben Amelech Babaika Babaika. Why are you so sickly? O son of king, morning after morning. It talks about Amnon. Amnon lusted after his half sister Tamar. She was gorgeous. And it made him sick. So his friend, Yenodav, asked him, he says, The son of a king, prince, why are you so dull? Why are you so uh, needy? And he's referring to, he looks sick. He was so sickly. Every day he looks sick. He's getting worse and worse. He's getting he feels so sickly. And then it says, Hashem says, Whoever contemplates the needy and takes care of them, Hashem will save them from a bad day. What's, what does a bad day refer to? Bad day refers to hell. As it says in Proverbs, Everything Hashem made, He made for His praise. And even the wicked man, for the day of evil, even when a wicked man is punishing Gehenim, this adds to Hashem's praise. Also adds to Hashem's praise. Because how does it contribute to Hashem's glory? So it's not only the, the righteous person who, who uses his free will to choose the right thing, to live a virtuous life and obey Hashem, that he's, he's glorifying Hashem by listening to Hashem and overcoming his evil inclination. But even the wicked person, when he follows or succumbs to his urges and instincts and cravings, but when he's punished, that also contributes to Hashem's praise. It's an example. This is what happens when you go against Hashem. Whereas you have a choice. But at the end of the day, you're going to pay. As, as Mendel quoted the other day, someone said, you know, this world, the Mishnah says in Ethics of Our Fathers, this world is like a supermarket, an open marketplace. You can take whatever you want off the shelf. But at the end of the day, you have to pay. Nobody really gets with anything in this world. Right. At the end of the day, you have to pay. So that's also praise, Hashem. In other words, this world is not a free-for-all. Yes, it seems to be a free-for-all. And wicked people seem to, be get, seem to get away with murder. But when they get their just reward at the end, they get just punishment. That's a praise to Hashem. It's not a free for You're living in Hashem's world. And whatever you choose, there's consequences. Everything you do, there's consequences. Positive, negative. Nothing in this life is free. So the Ra is referring to Gehel. So that's what Hashem says. Whoever takes care of the needs of the, of the sick, Hashem will protect them, will save them from Gehenna. 
And if someone does visit the sick, what is his reward? What do you mean? You just said it's the greatest reward. Like Rav says, you saved from hell. That's not reward enough. What are you asking? What, what is his reward? No, the question is, that's the reward in the afterlife. But well, what's his reward in this world? As we say, these are the mitzvahs that the rewards, the fruits, the dividends you enjoy in this world. Because the mitzvah is also in this world. Mitzvahs that are not of this world, so of course the reward is only in the world to come. But mitzvahs that between man and man, that you benefit another person. So the main reward, the keren, kayem, is the main reward will be in the world to come. But the payers, the dividends, you have to have it. What's the reward in this world? Physical reward. So he says, Hashem Yishmedeyu v'chayeyu v'usher ba'orev v'altineyu v'nefeshayu It says in Psalm, in Psalm 41, Hashem will protect him and restore him to life. V'chayeyu v'usher ba'orev He will be fortunate on earth and he, will, he won't be Hashem v'altineyu v'nefeshayu He won't be given over to the desire of his enemies meaning, he explains, Hashem Yishmedeyu v'yitzar Hashem will guard him from his evil inclination. He'll restore him to life from suffering. He'll avoid, he won't have suffering. He will be a firm, fortunate on earth. Everyone will respect him. Everyone will, will, will take pride in him. Everyone will love him, respect him. And he won't be given over to the desires of the foes. He's meaning you're going to have very good friends. You won't have enemies. You're going to have many friends. So these four rewards are a reward for the four different aspects of Bikr Cholim. When you visit the sick, you're accomplishing four things. What are you accomplishing? Number one is that you're helping him change, right? You're helping him, you're helping him realize that a person has to do a soul searching. You know, when you're sick, it's, it's, it's a time to change for the better. You know, you realize it's a message from Hashem. Hashem, it's not just accidental that you're sick. You're, you're sick. Hashem, it's a wake-up call. It's an alarm clock. Hashem, it's ringing. You know? There's a fire. The alarms are ringing. Wake up. Change. You want to get better, there's a way to get better. If you're spiritually healthy, it'll also translate into physical health. So by visiting him, you're also helping him come to terms with the... With the, you know, the deeper aspect of what's going on here. As Jews, as believers, as people with faith, nothing in this world is accidental. Everything is the hand of Hashem. So to wake up from Hashem. So therefore, a commensurate Hashem will help you with your struggles with the Yetzirah. Hashem Yishmerei, Hashem will protect you from Yetzirah. Another thing that you do when you visit the sick, like Rabbi Kiva, he physically helped him by attending him. He saw the floor wasn't clean. He's, he's taking care of him. The doctors see that someone cares about this patient, is keeping an eye on him. They're going to be more careful. So, Hashem will also, Hashem will make sure that you, you won't have any pain. You'll also, Hashem will protect you from pain. And another thing that you're helping him is with, also, you're swallowing your pride. It says that we learned yesterday that even a, a great person should visit a small person, a lesser statue. You don't only visit someone who's your peer. You know, a billionaire. I'm only going to visit billionaires. I'm going to visit a Shmendrik. No, you visit every Jew. So Hashem sees that you respect everyone. Hashem will reward you in this world that everyone will respect you. Everyone will take pride in you. you want. And, and the fourth thing is that you're showing you, you're a good friend. You took your time, you took effort. 
You went to inconvenience yourself to help them. Hashem will make sure also you, instead of enemies, you can have a lot, lots of friends. These are all the dividends of Bikah in this world. Like Namon, like Namon, who healed the skin disease. He means having good friends. That having good friends, like Namon. Naaman was very sick, right? He, he had leprosy. And his yeah. Jewish maid said, why don't you go to Elisha, the prophet? Yeah. And he came to Elisha, and he was, uh, Elisha said, go, go, go bathe in, in, the, in the Jordan. Right. So he said, so he, said well, he thought, I thought the prophet was going to come, wave his wand, you know, say something magical, and I'll be cured to bathe. The bathing in, 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 in Assyria, the rivers there are much better. I bathed there, didn't help me. And his friend's servant said, his friend said, listen, he came all the way. He's a prophet. If he would have told you to do anything, you would do. So why don't you just leave? He told you to do a simple thing. Just go. And it worked. He went. So he had some good friends like Naman who saved his life by listening to his good friends. And then he says, You shouldn't have friends. Don't have friends like the Chavam Shechilkos Malchusay. The Chavam was the son of King Solomon. He was the king, the ear. And he was young and impetuous. And uh, the people complained that King Solomon was too harsh of a burden, too much taxes. They paid 10% tax to the king. They couldn't take it anymore. What would they say today? Today is over 50%. What a great deal. They couldn't take it. So they asked Rechavam, please have mercy. You're the new king. Lighten our burden a little. So he asked the advisors. His elderly advisors told him, listen to the people. You're king. You want your subjects. You want them to love you, to like you, to be devoted to you. They're asking you something. Listen. Lighten their, their, their burden. And he asked the young, his young friends, his, his age. Do you know this young Schmenderich Green who just graduated from university to know everything? Smart Alex, they told him, are you kidding? You should double their tax burden. Show them who's boss. And that's what he did, and that was the split of the kingdom. Ten tribes led by Yeravam rebelled and, and set up their own shop, and he lost. And forever split, till Mashiach comes, that was the split of the ten tribes, <coughs> of the two tribes. So don't have such friends. Such friends are worse than enemies. If you tell you to build, and elders tell you to demolish, listen to the elders and don't listen to the youths. Whatever the youth build is a, is a demolishing, is a destruction, is detrimental. They have no clue, they have no life experience, they don't know what they're talking about, they're so sure of themselves, they're so arrogant, they're so super confident. Whatever they build is, is ruinous and destru- destructive. The demolishing of elders who have life experience, who are talking with wisdom, it, it, it's constructive. Similar Look at He didn't listen to the elders. Had he listened to the elders, he would have saved the day. Instead, he listened to the to the youth, impetuous youth, and it would turn into a disaster. Now, youth have tremendous advantage. Youth have energy, youth have excitement, power, force, koyach. But the youth have to be guided by the elders. The youth are not guided by the elders, then it just leads to ruin and destruction. Mm-hmm. There's no wisdom, there's no... 
intelligence, there's no, it's just nonsense, foolishness, arrogance. We live in a youth culture that celebrates youth. Anyone younger than 30 is, is considered over the hill, over 30. And we see the results. <laughs> the way they're very wise employers who love to hire 60-year-olds, older people, 70-year-olds. They're wise, they're mature, they're responsible. You know. A person should not visit a sick person. Why does he say the expression? A person should not visit a sick person. Not in the first three hours of the day. Not the last three hours of the day. Why? So the visitor should not give up on davening for Hashem's mercies. The first three hours, a sixth person minds is at ease. So the visitor will think, I don't have to daven for him. He looks good. He looks great. The first three hours, you're fresh. He just woke up. He's, he's, he's still stable. And the last three hours, you become very sick. You're exhausted at the end of the day. So he may give up. He's dying. What's the point? So come in the middle. So then he needs help and help and davening could help. So that's when you're gonna really gonna daven. Gives a different reason because these are the times that the doctor is with the patient in the morning, the first three hours, and at night before he goes to bed. <laughs> and it's everyone asks, why does Ramon come up with his own reasons? The Gemara gives one reason that Ramon comes up with his own reason. So others say the Catholic mission is that maybe the Ramon had a different version in our text uh, than us. He had a different text. Yeah. <laughs> and and there the, the are texts that actually omit the words that we just learned. Shalmi, a person should not visit a sick until the third day of his illness. Because, because if you visit him right away, you may worry the sick person. Oh, I really must be sick. Here he thinks, okay, it's one day, I'm not feeling well. Two days, he can think like... Uh, like Robin thought that, okay, it'll reverse very quickly. The third day, okay, this is serious. I'm not getting better. I need help. So therefore, not the aggravated psychological state of being, the Shalmi says, don't visit him the first two days. Wait till the third day. Do we hold that way? Well, if, but it says if a person is a relative or a very close friend, and suddenly he's gravely ill. He finds out that he's, he has a deathly illness. Then you can visit him. You can visit him right away. That's why Hashem didn't wait until the third day. Hashem waited until the third day. Right, for Avram, to visit Avram, because it says in your Shalom, you should wait for the third day. You shouldn't wait. No, some say, but, but fine. But why didn't you visit him the first and second day? Okay, just, you only visit a person when he's critically ill, and when he's regularly ill, I don't have to visit him. So even if you say the third day is the most critical day, but the first day and the second day, he's still sick. Why couldn't you visit him? Because he says you should wait for the, the Shalmi says you should wait for the third day until he visit him. But the question is, a relative is an exception. And because a, you don't want to publicize, like we learned, you don't want to publicize that he's ill. And also because, um, you know, but, but a relative is the exception. So firstly, so as she says, Hashem, the Rechaim says, Hashem can't go without publicizing it. So he definitely doesn't. But the question is, Hashem, firstly, Hashem has ways of doing it that he can't publicly make sure it's quiet, it's private. And 
there was no sun. There was, the sun was out, no visitors. I mean, it was totally private. So Hashem could have visited him without anyone knowing. And also, Hashem is a relative. A relative is allowed to visit the first two days. Right. So that answer doesn't explain it. So the Rebbe says the reason is because Hashem visiting him actually caused to heal him. That was the cause. Hashem came and through the angels, that's, that's what caused his healing. Hashem, Hashem didn't want to heal him the first two days. Hashem wanted him to go through. It had to be a real bris. You have to feel the pain. It has to be in the flesh. That's the whole point of a bris. It has to be natural in the flesh. It has to be a covenant. I mean, there's a cut, and it's painful, and it's real. And it's, you're making a, a covenant. It's a sacrifice. It has to cut. There's blood. It's, a, it's cutting into your flesh. It's a real, you have to seal the deal. It's a pact. It's a serious uh, pact. So Hashem didn't want to remove it from him miraculously, visit him the first day and the second day. He wanted him to... The halacha says, relatives and close, close friends visit right away. Those who are not relatives, those who are not close friends, only have to, only wait three days. Why did they agree? I'm trying to think how it could be done. Maybe as he's plowing, look, it's a sharp implement. But some say that if a person is very sick, like he finds out suddenly he's dying, he has a, this, this terminal illness, you know, then everyone can visit him right away. So, so that, that's an argument. Then, when do you visit him? Not the first three hours of the day. As the Gemara says, because... It's, it's easier the first three hours of the day, so so therefore you want so you won't want to daven. That's what the Rambam says. But the Gemara, our Gemara, gives a different reason. Okay. Gemara said because since it's, it, he, he doesn't feel so sick the first three hours, he just refreshed, rejuvenated, he just slept. So therefore, you won't daven for him as much, and not, not the last three hours of the day. It's interesting. The hours in the hospital works out that way. Visiting hours are not the first three hours of the day, not the last three hours of the day. It's right in the middle. Exactly like that. They're following the halacha. But others say that today we're not careful about that. How do we know that Hashem sustains a sick person? It says in Psalm 41, Hashem will fortify him on a sick bed. Suda Yisadenu means a meal in this case. It means Hashem will feed him, will nourish him. In other words, even though he's sick, and because he's sick, he loses his appetite. That's the first sign of illness. You lose your appetite. What's the first sign of health? You have a healthy appetite. When a person is getting better, his appetite comes roaring back. When a person is sick, he has no appetite. So what sustains him? So, so as we learn, the Gemara says, we learn in Yavamah, says fever sustains a sick person. Instead of food, the fever sustains a person. By the way, your body is signaling you. Hashem is working through your body. The body is miraculous. When the body tells you you have fever and you lose your appetite, the body is telling you, I need a rest. I need a break. Stop eating. Your eating is killing me. Your food and the way you eat and what you're eating is killing me. So stop. I need a break. So when you're not hungry, it's Hashem's way of feeding you. Hashem is telling you, this is a way of healing. Yeah. Fever is healing. The body is healing itself. It's stop, stop the eating. Right. It's, 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 it's healed. The body is healing. So Hashem is, is nourishing you. Not the food is nourishing you. Hashem is nourishing you. How do we know the Shechina is present? At the, at the head of the bed of a sick person, it says, It says in that same psalm, 
that Hashem will, will fortify him at the sick bed. So it says, so what do we see? What do we see? How do we know they have a different version? Rashi had the version in Shabbos, Yisadenu, we said earlier, means the visit. How do we know Hashem visits the six? Because Hashem Yisadenu, Yisadenu, Suda could mean to nourish, to nurture, to feed. Or Suda could also mean, we just learned, to, to visit. That's what he says, Hashem Yisadenu, let it devoid. But otherwise, how do you know the head of the bed? If you just, the way our version here, what's the proof that it's the head of the bed? Bringing a proof that Hashem is at the head of the bed. He's just saying a proof that Hashem is present. And we know Hashem is at the head of the bed. Someone goes visit the sick. He shouldn't sit down. He shouldn't sit on the bed. Not on the bench. Not in the chair. He should wrap himself up in his cloak. And he should sit on the, on the ground. Why? Because Hashem's presence is at the bed of the sick. Hashem is on the sick bed. It's out of respect for Hashem. You don't just sit down. It's not just you're visiting a person. You're visiting Hashem. Hashem is with the sick person. Hashem is with the sick person. When a person suffers... Hashem is suffering with you. Hashem is there with you. Hashem, who gives you the strength? Who gives you... You feel Hashem's presence. In a way, you're more intimate with Hashem. It's hard to describe. Anyone who never went through pain and suffering can't understand it. Anyone who has any pain and suffering in his life feels paradoxically and ironically closer to Hashem, more intimate to Hashem than when things are going well with him. You feel Hashem is with you. Hashem is carrying you. Hashem is making sure you can handle whatever He's, he's, he's giving you, whatever He's dishing out to you. He's with you, he's gentle, he's there, he's helping you, he's suffering with you. So for Hashem's presence, you have, to, you have to show respect for Hashem's presence. You have to sit down in the bed. Very good, no atheists in the facts all. Hashem is definitely present in the person's mind and heart and consciousness. So, so someone say, why, why are you in the head of the bed? Hashem is at the head of the bed in order to act as a shade to fortify him, as a protection. Hashem is hovering over him, protecting him and gently and making sure he can handle it and Hashem is with him. Another thing, Rabbi said in the name of Rav, when rain falls in Eretz Yisrael in the west, that was west of Babylonia by Rak, the Euphrates of Babylonia bears great witness to this because it becomes greatly swollen. The rain of Israel is a result, is the evaporation of the Pras, the Euphrates River, which is swollen. It means it must be raining in Eretz Yisrael, and therefore the rain from Eretz Yisrael flows to the Euphrates, which is the northernmost border of the greater Israel. Mashiach will come. The border of Israel will extend all the way to Iraq, all the way to the Euphrates River. The entire Jordan... No, all the way to the Euphrates. That's not the East River. Comes from the rain of Israel. The rain of Israel must be raining in Israel. If the, if the Euphrates River is swollen in Iraq, it must be raining in Israel. The Shmuel, he argues with Shmuel. Shmuel, Shmuel says, The rivers increase from its own bedrock, from the wellsprings on the bottom of the, of the sea. It must be, there must be the swelling of the river comes from within. From within the river, the source of the river, from the wellsprings below, not from the rainwater that's flowing, flowing from Israel. It's a fact that rivers do swell in the rainy season from all the rainwater. But Shmuel holds that the, the majority of the increase comes from the 
feeder springs that's beneath the bedrock of the riverbed. Like we learned in Tainus, every three inches of rainwater, every tefach of rainwater falls from above. Six inches or two tefachim rise from below. So yes, yes, it does swell from the rainwater, but that's what that's half. But, but that's one third of the swelling. But two thirds of the swelling come from the increase from below. We continue and side we elapraz unless. It is similar. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Shmuel, Shmuel, Shmuel. Shmuel argues Shmuel. Shmuel contradicts himself. Shmuel, Shmuel says, Water does not purify while flowing. In order for a mikveh, the law of a mikveh, it has to be stationary. It has to be stationary. If the mikveh is flowing, it's not a kosher mikveh. A wellspring, however, could purify even when it's flowing. So that's that's a river doesn't count as that? Oh. So he says, Unless, it's like the Euphrates River in the days of Tishra. Dip in a, in a river or in a stream. So in order to use this, a river or a stream as a mikveh, he says it has to be similar to Euphrates. Euphrates never runs dry. Because if a river runs dry, even once in seven years, then it's not, not kosher. Then, then you can't dip in it. Why? Because that proves that where does the water come from? The majority of the water comes from rainwater, melting snow. It's not spring water. So therefore, you can't use it because it's, it's flowing and it's not, it's not wellspring water. The majority of the water, a river that dries up once in seven years, if it's not like the Euphrates, the Euphrates River never dries up. Because it's primarily from spring water. It doesn't rely on rainwater, so it never dries up. But if a river or a stream relies primarily on rainwater, it can dry up. In Israel, you have all these streams that are dry. And there's a drought. So then it means that the, even when there is water, it's, it's, it's rainwater. It's not wellspring water. So therefore, if it flows, it's not a kosher mikvah. So you can't use it. And even if it doesn't run dry, like the Euphrates... You have to be familiar with the lowest level that the river reaches all year round. In other words, you're only allowed to, for example, the days of Tishrei. Because at that time, there's no runoff. There's no rain in the summer. And there's no runoff of the snow. That already melted long ago. So whatever river, whatever water there is, in Tishrei, at the end of the summer, that's its natural water. There's no external water. It's, you know, it's, since it never dries up, you know it's coming from the wellspring water. And you know that all the water here is wellspring. It's not melted snow, and it's not rainwater. Because if the water, if it also contains rainwater and spring water, and you're immersing in the rainwater and the spring water, the river swells, and you're immersing in the rainwater and the and it's flowing, yeah, you're not, it's not a kosher mikveh. So he says, you have to, if you know, if Praz, in the day of Tishrei, when you know it's natural water, there's no external water, and it's all the water is there, totally, from the wellspring water, then it doesn't matter if the river flows. Wellspring water is good, even if it flows. But it has, right, other times when the river swells, maybe there's more rainwater or more melted snow than, than natural water. So then you follow the majority, and then it's not kosher if the river 
if, since it's flowing a flowing river, it's a flowing stream. It's not as if it's not kosher. Again, if you're familiar, if you know what the natural state of water is, when there's no possibility of rainwater, no possibility of uh, melted snow in the Middle East, and it doesn't rain only in the winter. So you have six months of no rain. There's no melted snow, and this is its natural. Its natural. Uh, then, if in the winter you see that it did swell, but it, but still, it's just a little. It just swelled a little. The majority of the water is still on its natural level. Then you're allowed to immerse in it. If you're familiar, then, then, then you're allowed to. the father of Shmuel, Shmuel's father prepared mikvahs for his daughters. Let's say there was no mikvah. They didn't have the shwalbi mikvah. So they, they used to, they had to, they had to dip in the river. So he, he would prepare mikvahs for his daughters during the days of Nisan. And Matt, so then he needed a mikvah. Then he built him a mikvah. They couldn't use the river. But during the days of Tishrei, he prepared mats. During the winter, it's cold. He didn't want them to dip outside. It's too cold. So he made indoor mikvahs for them. But in the warmer spring weather, Nisan, they preferred to go outdoors. And don't forget, the water was cleaner. Indoors, six months, it was stagnant. They didn't have filters like they have today. If you get rainwater, it was very hard. So, you know, it gets smelly and dirty. And they wanted to go. I can bathe in the river, fresh, clean. And it's warm and it's beautiful. But the problem is, you can't bathe in the afraid. It's running water. It's not, it has to be still, it has to be stationary. And so what? Because maybe the majority of the water is from the rainwater, from the winter rainwater, and from the melting snow from the mountain peaks. So it's something which after you violate the prohibition, you put up root the prohibition, so therefore you wouldn't let them. I'm, saying, I'm sorry, you still have to go into the mikveh. Except at the end of the summer, Tishrei, the end of the summer, after six months, no rain and no melting rain, then he would allow them to good you to immerse, immerse in, in the Euphrates. Because now I know for certain the majority of the water is from the wellspring water. Why, would he, why did they need match them? That they should stand them. So the mud, the, the feet should not get muddy because the mud could interfere with the water. When you go to the mikvah, it has to be total immersion. So it shouldn't get between the toes and then the immersion is not kosher. Or as a mechitza, for modesty. You're naked in front of everyone and it's, 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 it's a public. So therefore you make like mats, for, 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 like a screen for modesty. Are you allowed to use a river or not? Could you use a river for mikveh or not? We have an argument in Shmuel and Shmuel. Shmuel himself said that even when the river swells, even in the winter when the river swells, it's swollen from all the rainwater, still and all, I could be rest assured that two-thirds of it, of the swelling, comes from the wellspring. So then I should be allowed to use the mikveh all year round. Because it's wellspring water. The majority is wellspring water. But Shmuel himself contradicts, and Shmuel himself said, and his father agrees with him. The father of Shmuel and Shmuel both said that the only time you could use the Euphrates River is only Tishrei, one month at the end of the summer. Only then could you rest assured that it's wellspring water because it never dries up and it's, it's, it's natural level. There's no rainwater. It's all, it's all overwhelming majority. Or the majority is certainly 
wellspring water, but not any other time of the year. So what's the halacha? Like the, this version of Shmuel or the other version of Shmuel? Yeah. Like the father of Shmuel or like his son in the other version? Which one is it? The, some say the reason of the mats was to make it still. That the water in the mats like a mikveh. It's like still water. The water all around it is flowing. But here it's stationary. So now it's not a problem. But if that's the case, I should be able to use it even in the winter. All time. Every time. Why only in the month of Tishrei? If that's... The, if that's that's the effect of the mats. There are many, many, many say that you have to be strict, like like the second version of Shmuel, like his father, Shmuel's father. That you're not allowed to dip in a river, unless unless it's like Tishrei, unless it's uh, when you know there's no rainwater and there's no uh, swelling. It's its natural state. It's a river that never dries up, and the water comes from below, and it's its natural level. Um, however, many are lenient places where there are no mikvahs. They do go to the river. They go, they go to the river because you rely on the other version of Shmuel. Shmuel said even when the river swells, two-thirds of it comes from, comes from below. Maybe one-third comes from the melted snow and the rain, but two-thirds comes from below. So even in the winter, and therefore it's, rain, it's wellspring water, as long as it's a river that never dries up. If it's a river that's all from rain, and then when there's a drought, there's no river, then you know it's all rainwater. Then you can never dip into that, that because it's always flowing. Yeah. Unless you, you create a box and you create a, you, you, you make, them make it stationary. But just to go into the river, women who live in communities, you're visiting places, are no mikvahs, they go into the river. The old ladies to break ice, sometimes to go into the river. So you can rely, that's what most Muslims say, you can rely that on uh, uh, Shmuel, on the, the other version of Shmuel that said, that if it's a river that never dries up, so you know it's wellspring water. Even when the river is swollen, two-thirds of it comes from below, and therefore the majority is wellspring water, and therefore when you mix rainwater with wellspring water, the majority is wellspring water, it has a status of wellspring water, even when it flows, it's kosher mikvah. We can, we'll stop over here to be continued. We continue our discussion tomorrow about sickness. And-